Hey everybody, it's Alec. We're gonna run a rerun this Friday. Things are moving a little bit slow for us. Uh, we're keeping 1998 coming, but uh, this Friday, we're gonna revisit the very first of our super long specials. Uh, this is an episode that aired, believe it or not, almost three years ago at this point. We're gonna uh, do a rerun of our Stone Temple Pilots special. It's a band that we all really love and that we haven't really had a lot of chances to talk about on the podcast. So I hope you enjoy getting to revisit some of these songs, and maybe you'll feel inspired to put on one of these albums. Uh, we'll see you in two weeks with our episode about Iris by the Google Dolls. Bye! Welcome to a special episode of Tell Me All Your Thoughts on Pod. I am Travis. I am Quillen. Alec. <laughs> uh, some of the biggest bands of the 90s never had a modern rock number one, but we still want to spend some time with them. San Diego band Stone Temple Pilots had five mainstream rock number ones and quite a few modern rock hits. Uh, side note, quite a few number twos. Um, but never a modern rock number one. Today we'll talk about Stone Temple Pilots' four 90s albums, Core, Purple, Tiny Music, Songs from the Vatican Gift Shop, and Number Four, and rate some of their hits. Uh, was it really Songs from the Vatican? I thought it was Tiny Music from the Vatican Gift Shop. Get the hell out of here. It is not. I must be an idiot. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, hello. Welcome to this very special episode, our STP special uh, today we'll be talking about Stone Temple Pilots, who are comprised of Robert DeLeo on the bass, Dean DeLeo on guitar, Eric Kretz on drums, and for most of their career, Scott Wayland on the vocals. What's, uh, what's the one-minute version of this band's biography? Oh, I think it's that... Um... Scott and Robert met at a Black Flag show, mm-hmm. and they were already part of a band called Mighty Joe Young, which was really funky. 
Um, <laughs> there's some, <laughs> yeah. some, some cool stuff if you dig around on the internet to find early Stone Temple Pilots. Um, yeah, if you just look up Mighty Joe Young, what was the song we listened to? Just like uh, Get Funky Now? It was like or Dirty Dog like or something, right? Dirty Dog. I think it was Dirty Dog. <laughs> I was so lost uh, by that text message. I had no idea what that oh, was. Yeah. So they do that, and uh, and then they put out an album in 1992 and kind of jump on the grunge uh, bandwagon, and then they get into heroin, and the rest is history. Now, <laughs> did uh, Scott Wayland got into heroin. Did any of the other band members get into heroin? That's a, that's a good point. I don't know. Okay. I, I'm pretty sure that it's just Wayland. I, I think um, that's right. After the first two albums... Um, Plush and Purple, they took a break and Scott Whalen started using heroin. And after that, their, their career was kind of constantly interrupted for rehab and at least one stint in prison for Scott Whalen. Uh, they were unable to tour um, at some of the biggest moments in their career. And um, in the 2000s, there's some more drama that we, we won't really talk about today. But um, Scott Whalen jumped ship and joined Velvet Revolver with members of Guns N' Roses and Chester Bennington of Linkin Park mm -hmm. uh, became a vocalist for the band. And what, three, four years ago, Scott Wayland? Uh, uh, yeah, sadly, uh, 2015. I, I 2015 I, I thought it was longer ago, um, but yeah, 2015. Uh, yeah, Scott Wayland sadly passed away and... Uh, I believe that the other three have played some shows with yet another uh, singer. Yeah. 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 What's your, your general relationship with STP? Quill, why don't you tell yeah, us? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, they were like probably um, the first alternative rock band um, that I got into. Um, I think it was like fifth grade or so. What about you, Trav? Um, I liked them from afar. They, um, I never had one of their albums. Um, I usually would like borrow a friend's copy and maybe like tape it or something like that. Um, huh. I remember Interstate Love Song being a big, um, like kind of a pop hit. Like I feel like that was on pop radio, and um, <clears throat> because of that, that was like. It was very exciting to me when that happened, and that was probably the first time I remember coming across them. I, I eventually owned all four of these albums, but I definitely like Quill, and I started with Purple. And when I listen to 90s alternative rock, I feel like Stuntum Pilots singles are one of the main things that I want to listen to. Like That's like what I think of when I think of this podcast and like what I want to listen to. So it's funny mm -hmm. that we don't have any actual SDP songs. It's a crime. Yeah, it's a crime. Um, what do you think this band does well? Rhythm section is awesome. And I think uh, the guitarist is pretty uh, excellent and creative and well-versed. Uh, very, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like he uh, has a wealth of styles um, that he can perform and... Um, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. I'm pretty focused on Robert DeLeo, the bassist, who is at least 75% of the time involved in 
the songwriting process. They're they're kind of have a curious credits, songwriting credits. If you look at them, like Scott mm-hmm. Wayland writes the lyrics for all the songs, but there are songs that um, Robert DeLeo, the bassist, writes. There are songs that some songs that uh, Dean DeLeo writes, and there's even a, a, at least a couple of songs that Eric Kretz, the drummer, writes, mm-hmm. um, including actually one of their best singles, but. The, um, the intersection of the rhythm section and just kind of like the, the harmonic aspects of the songs, which that, and that's where the bass sits. Um, that's what's really exciting to me about STP. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that their singles are really good. They, they make singles well. Um, and as I found out, you know, having not really spent time with all of the albums, um, they're a different band outside of the singles. <laughs> yep. um, what does this band do poorly? Uh, be a heavy band (laughs) (laughs) everything that they try to do that is heavy is so bad anything that's like when they're writing songs around power chords it never works out but if they're actually like getting into like um i don't know like more complex chords it can actually be really interesting Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but the heavier they go the worse it is so this band has a bunch of number ones on the mainstream rock chart, but not on the modern rock chart. Now, like Quill said earlier, they do have a bunch of number twos on the, on the modern rock chart. But why do you think this band was more successful on the mainstream chart and on mainstream radio than on alternative radio? Maybe their uh, proximity and sound to butt rock, um, at least uh, uh, on core. And I mean, even, well, definitely on uh, number four, but uh, even on purple, um, there's still a little bit of the, um, they're like clinging on to, um, you know, 80s hard rock, right? Yeah. Yeah, I guess I was going to say along those lines, something about like uh, iceberg theory where they're like, the things that you see are these um, rich, sort of colorful singles, but the iceberg underneath the water, the base, the foundation of, of their stuff is the terrible heavy stuff. I mean, that's happening a lot. Um, I have two thesis statements that I'm curious to hear your thoughts on now, and then I'm curious to kind of revisit throughout the episode. The first is that STP are craftsmen, not artists which is a the, the language is tricky there yeah because what's what's art but i i think that the the thing that i would say is uh if stp were a painter and they painted you a picture of a sailboat they would not make you see sailboats in a new way mm. but it would be it would look a, very much like a real sailboat mm-hmm. And the other thing that I have to say about Stone Temple Pilots, which I think we've already said, is just that Stone Temple Pilots is a singles band. I would say that Stone Temple Pilots are craftsmen in that they sound like a bunch of tools. (laughs) (laughs) At times. Well, should we go album by album? Let's. Yeah, let's get to it. Sure. All right. Well, <laughs> let's start with 
<laughs> Start with the um, fantastic selling album. I didn't write down numbers for specific albums, but uh, this is probably their best selling album, right? Core, their very first. It was huge, huge success. Um, off of the strength of singles like Plush, Creep, Wicked Garden, and Sex Type Thing. <laughs> I wrote down shit riffs. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote uh, proto sure. new metal. Yeah. Proto new metal. Yeah. Um, so shortly after this album came out, um, they were voted the best new band by Rolling Stone readers and the worst new band by Rolling Stone critics. Mm-hmm. I read that. And, um, <laughs> I think that this album completely earns its negative critical reception. People say that this is a fifth-rate grunge copycat, and I, I kind of couldn't agree more. Yeah, and I mean, I think especially when like we heard what they were before, when you hear those mighty Joe Young songs, they're, they're not <laughs> anything like this. And to put an album out in 1992 on a major label, to make that kind of a jump, you can't help but be kind of cynical about like why they made that that change, right? I mean, yeah, I think critics kind of saw them as posers and bandwagon jumpers, and I think they were probably right. Do you think they're more of a Pearl Jam ripoff on this album or an Alice in Chains ripoff on this? Oh, album? Alice in Chains, Alice in Chains, yeah, for sure. So I don't listen to Alice in Chains a ton. Uh, what do you hear? Uh, just in like the heaviness and kind of like the. S- uh sludginess um is yeah. more uh comparable to Alice in Chains. Um Pearl Jam, I feel like even early Pearl Jam had some pep in their step a little bit, and there's like mm-hmm. none of that. Um Yeah. Yeah, uh, there's a bleakness, right? I found that I liked Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good good way to put it. Um I found that I liked parts of quite a few of the songs uh encore um oh. i never felt like i hated core um i always preferred purple um but i yeah like uh and and again uh partly well mainly the singles um like um i think the chorus of sex type thing is okay uh wicked garden has some cool parts um i generally like plush and creep too um, which when I was a kid, I think I thought creep was by Nirvana, um, before I knew. <laughs> yeah. Um, understandable. He, uh, Wylan sounds a lot like, uh, Cobain on the chorus. Take time with a wounded hand, cause I like to steal. Take time with a wounded hand, cause it likes to heal. I Um, also, uh, I, I, and I looked this up, um, to see if it made sense. Uh, when I was a kid, the talk of my school and like my friends was that creep, um, was about John Bobbitt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh my God. Me too. That's crazy. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. 
Uh, but the thing is, is that, that... <laughs> I'm half the man I used yeah, to be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, <laughs> the, I mean, that didn't happen until 93. Um, so <laughs> that's an impossibility. Um, but yeah, definitely that was a theory going around amongst my, my friends who also liked Sun Temple Pilots. Scott Wayland is a vocal shapeshifter. I mean, from song to song and album to album, he he puts on very different hats depending on kind of what his responsibilities are. And I, even on the singles, I just feel like he's in full meathead mode. Anytime that he's mm. doing the like any, uh, I just can't, I can't stand any of it. Which is um, really interesting because he is supposedly very like against that even at this time right i mean like every, from everything i read he was this very open-minded progressive kind of guy but he mm-hmm. was trying to take on this character of of uh you know especially in like sex type thing i'd read that yes yeah. um you know taking a position um or performing as a character that was was aggressive or, or you know, predatory or something like that. Mm. Yeah. So, um, let's dive into sex type thing. Let's. Uh, let's do a, let's do a clip real quick. says that this is he's ironically taking on a character to critique kind of male sexual violence and some of the attitudes that are associated with um with sexual violence so he's got lines like um uh you shouldn't have worn that dress and uh what else does he say um here i come i come i come i come (laughs) oh what does he say uh I am, I am, I am. I said I want to get next to you. Um, I don't know. It's these aggressive uh, sexual attitudes. And I, I don't think I'm the only one who, just with the overall attitude of the song, like zero irony comes across in this song. Yep. I don't know where we're supposed to figure out that there's irony, but mm-hmm. like even in the music video, he's looking like it's curious that Trav was saying proto new metal because he was actually reminding me of, of all people. He was reminding me of Fred Durst in that video, the way he looked mm-hmm. and the, the way that he was not necessarily the style in which he was singing, but the lyrical content. Um, I, I think the song is just a failure uh, <laughs> at what it's trying to do. And um I think most critics agreed. I think uh, I read Robert Christgau saying something like, you know, you can't say that you don't mean the words when the power chords are like, are, are, are having the same effect. Like they're telling, they're telling the listener that you mean it. And uh, Rolling Stone called it a testosterone fest. Yeah. I loved uh, the Christgau quote. Um, I wrote it down because I thought it was like such a perfect sort of like, like it just pegged the song perfectly. It said, Sex type thing shows that they should reconceive their aesthetic strategy. Critique wise, irony has no teeth when the will to sexual power still powers your power chords. Hmm. And I thought that was perfect. And, yeah. you know, I, I think like, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the song is just like 
his performance is so convincing in what he's doing that it's like there's like <laughs> yeah <laughs> what what else are we supposed to take away yeah. from this i'm not again i'm not i'm not casting doubt on Wayland's character i just think musically it doesn't accomplish what the band set out to accomplish right let's go through the singles and hear what you all think of each one um Wicked Garden. Those first three songs are just like, uh, just like the the holy trinity of shit rock. Like it just sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I could like those, yeah. And they're all like singles. They're songs that you hear on the radio mm-hmm. and like, like heard like separately. You don't kind of put it together, but then like when it's like all in a row, it's like Jesus, man, this is terrible. I don't know. Like if if I would love to hear somebody like a fan of alternative rock convince me that this is um interesting and a uh, a good contribution to like 90s alternative rock. Well, I I like the part on Wicked Garden that the uh, and then when it gets to the uh that part's it loses me. Yeah, that part's pretty pretty symptomatic of the whole album. Yeah. I wanna run through the work again. <laughs> oh, and the chorus the chorus is kinda cool. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's a decent that's melody. Good. Yeah. Um Plush, probably the the best regarded single from this album that was a mainstream number one and a modern rock number nine. y'all think of plush uh love it oh great what do you like about Uh, the uh chorus is awesome Hmm. um okay so now this is the when the dogs begin to smell her song oh yeah um so do you like the and i feel i feel when the dogs begin to smell her or oh and the dog that part uh yeah of course it's good i like the kind of like noodly guitar part that's happening underneath chord progression underneath it there are a cool couple of major seventh chords in the song in the verse progression like the second half of the verse um progression as it goes Mm -hmm. um that i like um i i thought of this as like a um i wondered if you know if if when i come around as a ballad is plush a ballad in the same way, hmm. uh, I think of uh, it's I think not of a plush. I think of plush in the same kind of vein as like "Alive" by Pearl Jam, something like that. Like a, I guess it's a, is it an anthem? Like an arena mm. rock anthem? 
it's an arena rock yeah thing definitely. i think that's that's fair yeah. i uh i have a lot of um like nostalgic feelings for this song um it makes me think of summer in elementary school um it makes me think of uh waking up and eating a bowl of cereal while watching sports center espn sports center um for three hours the same episode <laughs> three times in a row that's beautiful and then yes. uh going out into my backyard and shooting hoops and then mm-hmm. riding my bike around the neighborhood Jeez. um that's like it's very uh that's what the song makes me think about that's yeah. life yeah the song makes me think of when I smell a woman's corpse out in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> I read that this was about, they had read an article about a, a missing lady who was later discovered to be dead. And uh, Wyland and Kretz wrote the lyrics in a hot tub after hearing the story. <laughs> like what, what are the, like, there's kind of a disconnect there, a weird kind of thing. Yeah. Like, oh man. I think weird. the guitar chords are cool. Uh, again, I just, there's, there's more seemingly sympathetic discussion of like violence towards women that I I just never have read it as being very sympathetic. Like it just seems like for the purpose of being edgy. Hmm. Um, and musically I hear this as a practice run for interstate love song. I I hear that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's. (laughs) <laughs> creep uh mainstream number two modern rock number 12 what do y'all think of creep it's great <laughs> my note was fine but stained <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> and i didn't really like i haven't listened closely to to creep in a long time but i listened to it and i was like this is like the blueprint for stained hey listen huh. i read that um Okay, so STP uh, went on the Family Values tour. I read the same thing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> in like, but I didn't. But, but it was before I was like, this song sounds like Stained. Yeah, in two thousand one, and uh, what's what's his name? Aaron. Uh, Aaron Lewis. Aaron Lewis sang uh, with the band. Yeah. For Creep. Yeah. It, it's clearly like like a Stained <laughs> influence. Yeah. <laughs> I I, think... I feel like this is one of our biggest Nirvana wannabes yet. Uh, yeah, you know, Quill, you had mentioned that it sounds like Kurt, and the lyrics yeah. are Kurt. They're yeah. uh, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, he likes to heal. I like to steal. Just like that, that kind of couplet, oh, yeah. that nonsensical kind yes. of like, um, it's so so Kurt, and it was just low self esteem. I guess is unfortunately associated with Kurt, but uh, I do think that this is the best song on the album, though. Hmm. I hadn't considered yeah. that there was a best song in the album. <laughs> it, it's between this and it's between Creep and Plush for me. Uh-huh. No, you know what? I did have a, a best song in the album. It was Wet the Bed. I wrote <laughs> for my notes for Wet the Bed. You do not have enough passable material on this album to even attempt to waste everyone's time by including a song like this. Also, maybe the best song in the album. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, well, let's move on to Greener Pastures. Let's yeah. talk about Purple. This debuted at number one in 1994. 
Um, how do you all feel about purple in contrast to Core? Oh, compared to Core, it's like incredible. It's like the greatest <laughs> album of all time. Uh, no, this coming from the guy who was the Core defender. Um, yeah, it's awesome. Uh, this is the one album that I think I like at least one of the non-singles. Uh-huh. Um, I think that, yeah, I think that overall this might be the my favorite, I guess, my favorite album of theirs. Granted, like, half of the album is singles. Yeah, I think it's, it's uh, surprisingly good um, in, in the sense that, like, I can't believe it's the same band that made mm-hmm. Core. Um, and they started to focus on their strengths. I mean, like, you mm-hmm. know, I, I said I thought their, their strengths were writing, like, pop rock songs and their weaknesses is trying or are trying to be heavy and they for the most part stop trying to be heavy there's a couple of heavy songs that are pretty bad in purple mm-hmm. um but uh, w- w- real quick because it sounds so much like a core holdover what do you think of meat plow the very first track yeah uh core holdover mm-hmm. i think you said it it is but i i kind of like meat I, plow <laughs> yeah i i don't hate meat plow i think it's okay but i do uh agree that it's a holdover I, I think that the chorus is really good. It switches into this major mode that I don't feel like we've heard from this band yet. To break us down, yeah, break me down. But I got a and she shows me how to And there's this uh, slide guitar. Um, I feel like it, it goes to a, <laughs> a meathead kind of place on the verses, but uh, I really like the chorus of this song. When I put this song on and then it goes into Vaseline, I like, I'm like psyched to listen to the album. <laughs> uh, but sorry, Trav, you said there are some things that are still like core. Yeah, no, I would have said Meat Plow and probably Loungefly. <laughs> and then there's something, there's maybe a, a one or two songs near the end that were also sort of that way. But for the most part, um, they're so much more uh, bright and colorful and mm-hmm. interesting um, than they were on Core. This was my favorite when I was a kid. And I think it, what we get to see now is that this band is really clever. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that we really got to see how clever they are on Core. The guitar playing is excellent mm-hmm. on this album, and uh, like I've already said, the bass playing is really excellent on this album. Um, one distinction behind the scenes is there's a lot more involvement in the songwriting from Dean DeLeo. In particular, he wrote Big Empty, um, and uh, his mark on Interstate Love Song is definitely really significant. Rolling Stone gave three stars and said... By now, dissing Stone Temple Pilots has become as predictably indie rock as worshipping Sonic Youth. The higher the quartet's 1992 debut creeps past triple platinum, the more alternative rock hecklers sling Pearl Jam wannabe jokes like Rotten Fruit. The accusations wouldn't be so harsh if Pearl Jam hadn't already been labeled Nirvana ripoffs, making STP knockoffs of a knockoff. Yeah, I hadn't considered... um... Until you read that, um, the, the, the pavement line about, you know, mentioning Stone mm-hmm. Temple Pilots. Because it always kind of gets overshadowed by the Smashing Pumpkins one. Right. But, um, 
yeah, they were kind of, you know, kind of mocked there. And yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I was too young at the time to realize that anyone was cooler than anyone else. You know, when mm-hmm. it came to all this stuff, it seemed like it was all very cool. You know, I, I, I mentioned that Creep was the most blatant Nirvana wannabe on core. Um, one dart that I will throw at this band is, uh, and this album, Unglued, I think is a is an extremely blatant Nirvana ripoff. Yep, I thought the same thing. It is, but I fucking love it. I think yeah. the chorus the chorus of that song slaps. It's total Nirvana. The chorus especially is Oh, totally definitely. Nirvana, yeah. Absolutely. But the riff, uh, you know, the lyrics, the moderation is masturbation thing, like <laughs> all of that is that's just classic yeah. Kurt Kurt wannabe lyrics. I think that chorus is so catchy though. I It I, is a it is a catchy chorus. I can't help it. I like I love that song. All right, well let's let's talk about singles and I think we'll have a lot of positive things to say here. Big Empty um, was mm-hmm. on the Crow soundtrack and then uh, was released as a single and, and sort of became the de facto first single from this record. Mainstream number three, modern rock number seven. pretty good yeah yeah um i was gonna go back to the um about a girl um yanni laurel e chord is it a major Uh or a minor and it turns out it sounds like it's an e e minor seven flat five which means it's an e minor with a with a b flat in it um which is not sorry in about a girl no no in in big empty in big empty during the during the verse so um yeah it it was something that i thought was like maybe a major you know and that's i i mentioned this because it's my favorite part of the song is going back and forth between those two chords in the verse yeah Um, and it's an interesting melody it is it is Mm -hmm. and then also i mean yeah I, i guess covering the whole song but like the um the chorus is great um just kind of like repositioning the the g shape over a couple of different chords and then the end of the chorus the chorus ends very well too yeah yeah that yeah yeah uh very cool guitar stuff dean DeLeo wrote that one the guitarist wrote that song and um yeah the chorus is like it's a good anthemic um the 90s alternative rock chorus and the slide guitar, um, acoustic slide guitar, or, or awesome, f- yeah, uh, at least um, clean slide guitar mm-hmm. is really great too. And there's um, before the last chorus, there's that great kind of breakdown period where it seems like the song is ending, and um, 
Eric Kretz is kind of heavy on the toms. Yeah. And Scott Whalen's doing that wordless. Yeah, uh, there's yeah. some slide guitar and then it comes back into the chorus. That's a great moment. Yeah. Next single is Vaseline mainstream. Number one, modern rock. Number two, I've already shared that. I think this is one of the best modern rock singles of the nineties. Yeah, you guys love this. It's awesome. It is. Yeah, it's about perfect. It's so good. Man, I think it's just fine. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I think it's, without a doubt, the best song on Purple. I'll repeat some of the things that I said before. Uh, it's got a very complicated rhythm, polyrhythms. Um, the drums are doing a really, uh, a really tricky beat. And uh, the choruses are are pretty unusual um awesome chords bridge uh amazing bridge and it's super efficient it's really right it's it can't be much more than three minutes long yeah it's just over three i think uh guitar solo is totally awesome vaseline is is a oh great one vaseline is just under three according to wikipedia all the more evidence of its excellence the phrase came from Scott Weiland uh, originally thinking that Life in the Fast Lane by the Eagles um, during the chorus of that song. He thought when they were saying Life in the Fast Lane, he thought they were saying Flies in the Vaseline. Hmm. Um, and that's where it came from. And so he wrote a song about it. Um, I also Curious. wrote that the drummer, um, Eric Kretz, played the smallest drum kit he could find for this song. Does that mean anything to you? Aaron? No, it's just very interesting. Yeah. I wonder what that, I would like to see what the kit was and how small it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mentioned that this is, I see this as the, the proto uh, airbag by Radiohead. Mm. And we're moving in that direction. Mm. So if STP are a Pearl Jam ripoff who are a Nirvana ripoff then uh, Radiohead are a <laughs> ripoff of a, P, a Pearl Jam ripoff or of a Nirvana ripoff. Clearly. Yep. Clearly. Yep. Uh, the video also. I don't know if we're talking about videos yet but this yeah, video I like that video. is insane. That's there is cool. way too much going on. Right? Yeah. The highlight is that Scott Whalen does this curious little dance with a cane mm-hmm. which is uh, it's fun to see. Yeah. There's it's just like one abstract thing after another with nothing tying it together. Yeah. It's, I mean, oh, in that sense, I, it's kind of cool. I love this song. <laughs> Next single is a behemoth. Um, mainstream rock number one for 15 weeks and wow. a modern rock number two interstate love song.
Trav, why don't you start on this one? Because I think that you are you're the most enthusiastic about it. Yeah. Um, I think this song is wonderful, and I think this is. I think I mentioned before that I think um, when I think of modern rock, I think of Interstate Love Song. I think of this as like like one of the um, the best examples that you can think of of like alternative rock from 1994. Um, it's this song. There's there's so much um, to like about it. Um, the one thing I guess I, I I did come to kind of hear it in a different way. Um, obviously, you know, I've heard it for 25 years now, and um, and I've always appreciated the way it sounded. But um, in doing a little bit of research for it, um, I guess I did it. It did become apparent to me that this would be a very easy thing to cover as a bro country song. Um. I, I don't know how else to say it other than like you could see like some of these bro country dudes um performing this song and it and it working. Um but looking at the lyrics um kind of gave me a new perspective on it. It was really cool. Um it's just about, you know, he's really getting into heroin at this point. Um and the artwork for the album is actually based on China white heroin that that Scott Weiland had had bought in L.A. Um, that was the the packaging for it, and so um, the song is written from his girlfriend's perspective about how he was becoming a junkie and lying about it, and um, you know she's trying to get to the bottom of it, and it was yeah I mean hearing it from that perspective was really cool and refreshing. Yeah, it does make me think about some of the sort of like the emotional peaks of the song in a different way. Like that moment when he says, all of these things you've said to me, like that's a that's a like a powerful melody. And it's it has like a real tragic feel. Yeah. Um, and coupled with that lyric, uh, definitely. Uh, that's pretty compelling. Yeah, I had I had kind of. I mean, I think for the sake of just doing some some jousting with you on the podcast, I had said that this was pickup truck rock, and it, it is to some degree. But I think it's you know there's something cool in some ways about a California band doing a, um, uh, you know, this is the interstate love song. This is this is driving down the freeway. This is going through, um, pickup truck country, and. I don't think there's anything wrong with it having that appeal. Yeah, and every once in a while on the singles, uh, Wyland does this um, this twang. He has this twang to his voice, right? This yeah. song and Creep. Um, mm. He gets real twangy. My guitar teacher in high school would sit me down and kind of show me what was how to play some songs and what was great about them. And this was one that he always made a point of teaching me. And so I definitely learned to play this song on guitar and on bass. Um, if you don't normally notice bass, definitely listen to the bass. It's uh, it's very cool. It's I mean, wild. in addition to that guitar part being iconic, um, the bass is kind of bouncing around it in some pretty interesting ways. Yeah, the verses, the verse chords on this song for uh, for guitar are wild.
isn't the chorus unbelievable i think the chorus is just awesome. yeah beautiful it's so good and i, I love the uh um like each couplet in the verse like ending on like the one word with the harmonized uh yeah do you know what i'm talking about I, yeah it's cool yeah yeah. And the riff, the riff is great. Oh my god! Yeah, the yeah. riff is great. No, I yeah. mean these these brothers, uh, they know what they're doing. Yeah. They're they're fantastic musicians. Except when they don't, <laughs> <laughs> because we know how bad they can be, but we know how good they can be. What is the deal with that? I think mm. there are a lot of music listeners that like that. <laughs> like, which is a lot of what this band does. Yeah. But no, you can't. You you have to really know your stuff to write the chords to this mm-hmm. this the yes. verse of, of yes. the Interstate Love Song. Confusing. Well, we've we've behind the scenes in the green room, we've had a lot of discussion over um, what counts as a single, because uh, a lot of these songs were released as singles, and then some of them released as promo singles, basically released to see if they could get some radio play out of them. Um, so I have Pretty Penny listed as a single from this. It's a promo single. This was, curiously, this is a mainstream number 12, did not chart on the modern rock chart. Has she gone away? Gone away and found the pearl. But the price she paid. Gone. This is a, um, a a pretty curious acoustic ballad, and Quill, I think you're usually the one that's enthusiastic I about love, this one. I love this song. Uh, it is probably my favorite song on Purple. Um, I really, really, really love it. So it's, is the whole thing in three? Uh, the the I, chorus is very strange time-wise. Yeah, the... <laughs> Uh, the verse is definitely in three, and the bridge, or three or six, three. Um, the chorus, I have no clue. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to say what's going it's a, on. It's in an interesting time signature. Uh, it sound the the chorus and the bridge to me sound like um a Zeppelin um, mm-hmm. uh folk song. You brought uh, like that weird... up. I was gonna suggest. Do you think this was written or arranged at the same time as their Dancing Days cover? I do, and I was wanting to talk about Dancing Days because that cover is sick. Yeah, that's an amazing Zeppelin cover. Um, Better than this, the original, right? Ah, uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think I mean, it I, is, and I. I, I'm a big I fan like of the Zeppelin, original, but. but I man on uh, uh yeah on their Dan today's cover I the the slide guitar part. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like during the uh intro and like the yeah that weird in between. Dinner. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, it's, yeah. It's done cooler on the 
STP cover, I think. Uh-huh. It, it just sounds so cool. Um, yeah, anyways, unbelievable cover. But, I, Trav, I think you might be onto something there. I definitely think they're... Um, I, I definitely think Pretty Penny is a very much Zeppelin-influenced song, for sure. Um, Dancing Days, I think that's something that reveals a little bit of STP's future and reveals uh, Scott Whalen's kind of... He's got a secret... Um, kind of crooning ability that he's been hiding from us. And his vocal performance on Dancing Days is really smooth and like buttery mm-hmm. and um, a little delicate and like really, really successful mm-hmm. vocal performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that there are, you know, there are some album cuts on Purple that um, they've all got a little something that that is worth listening to some of them just kind of try my patience a little bit i was watching um vh1 storytellers with them and i think that this got cut but um the final track kitchenware and candy bars i love that song by the it way. goes pretty slow um and i guess if you're not interested you're you're gonna tune out pretty quickly but um there's a lot of heartache in it, and in, in Storytellers, he reveals that it's the story of he and uh, a, a former partner making the choice to get an abortion, um, which made me listen to the song a little bit differently. But there are, there are quite a few really good moments on this album that are not singles. So I, if you haven't listened to it in a while, I, I definitely would recommend revisiting it. You'll hear some... There's a little bit of junk, but... Mm-hmm. it's really all in all it's a solid album mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah um so after this album uh the the band took a little break um got into scott wayland got into some more trouble and then they recorded tiny music songs from the vatican gift shop and um some curious things happened in between here. So firstly, the DeLeo brothers and Eric Kretz, they decided to form a project to um, stay busy while Scott Weiland was going through all of his troubles. And uh, I guess now would be a logical place to talk about that. They formed a band called Talk Show, and I didn't even write down the name of the vocalist. <laughs> all right, Dave Kautz was the vocalist they teamed up with. This is the, I, I was not aware of this previously, but um, when it came time to do Tiny Music, um, the three uh, instrumental members of Stone Temple Pilots had a stockpile of like 30 songs saved up, you know, without lyrics. And it's, um, it's ambiguous whether they have melodies or not. I'm sure that to some degree they do have some melodies when they pass the songs on to the lead singers. But um they basically, the DeLeos sat down and, and looked at their list of songs and they pointed at each one and they said, Tiny Music, Talk Show, Talk Show, Tiny Music, Tiny Music. Um, and they, they decided on like basically which lead singers they were going to mm-hmm. give each song to. Um, do you have history with the Talk Show album? Was this the first time hearing it? What did you think? I, I, it was my first time listening to the entire thing. Um, I definitely remember this. I think the single was, was it Hello, Hello? Um, I have no memory of hearing talk so. show on the radio. Yeah. Uh, and it was pretty good. Uh, 
weird time signature, um, cool instrumental uh, aspects mm-hmm. to it. Um, the album was better than I expected, but I don't know that I would say it was good. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, there were some interesting things on there. One thing that was curious to me was that um, I feel like the material that they saved for the talk show album was more 60s inspired than anything that STP had put out by that point. And, uh, and the vocalist complies with some kind of more poppy, more kind of um, friendly, approachable vibe than Scott Weiland gives off. And I found that um, we haven't given a lot of praise to Scott Weiland so far, but I found that I was missing a slight edge, a slight aura of danger that he brings to the band hmm. that was not present in talk show. I thought it was kind of interesting that um, the rest of the band made this album um, with a new singer. And I think during this time also Scott Weiland made a song with another band called the Magnificent Bastards and had a song on the Tank Girl soundtrack. And I listened to that song and it was better than anything I heard on the talk show album. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. It wasn't okay. fantastic, but it was like a passable single. It was something that was like, okay, like you can kind of justify putting this out. Whereas like talk show, like it was so boring to me. <laughs> and I wanted, I wanted to be, you know, be able to find something and say like, hey, this is a cool sort of like forgotten thing that happened. And uh, there's just not, not anything worth revisiting about talk show. IMO. Well, let's move on to Tiny Music, Songs from the Vatican Gift Shop. This debuted at number four in 1996. And um, again, in the wake of, of Weiland's initial troubles with heroin, I think that this is, despite a couple of crummy tracks, I think that this is one of the best mainstream rock albums of this time period. Yeah, my thought was that it was... Um their only good album from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like, I like purple, but there's a couple of duds. I don't feel like there are any duds on tiny music. I feel okay. like there I'm are fascinated definitely... to hear that. You don't think there are any duds. Yeah. On tiny music. <laughs> no duds. I think stone temple pilots sole worst song is on tiny music, but <laughs> wow. let's save that. Yeah. Let's save that. Yeah. So, um, I just think it's, it, you know, it, it definitely kind of like, there are peaks and valleys for sure, mm-hmm. but it's all listenable and it's all manageable. So I, I, um, I enjoy it. Just and side it. a slays. Yes. Top heavy it for sure. Positively slays. Yes. I had never listened to the album before. All the really? way mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. What'd you think? Um, I think it will, uh, it deserves uh, another listen from me, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, there was definitely some duds for me. Um, okay, but yeah. So when I think of this album, it is it's power chords on on a whole lot of it, but in a completely different mode than encore. 
this is a um there's a bit of punk there's a bit of glam uh it's a very british album yeah i yeah, thought of I it as a that. psychedelic album mm. yeah Dean DeLeo is apparently into uh, jazz and lounge music, and he gets a little bit of that in. Robert DeLeo's sort of like the, the Beatles-esque guy. He gets some of that in. Scott Weiland is kind of, uh, and he's kind of the punk guy. And everybody gets a little bit of their taste in. And at least on the first half, it synthesizes into, like when we talk about bubble grunge, this is the definition of bubble grunge to me. Like if I had to say what, um, if I had to say like what the ideal kind of balance of pop and like mild Nirvana influences, I would point to something like big bang baby or tumble in the rough. Oh, wow. That's not my understanding of it at all. I would think it's just a poppier version of, early grunge music like if you think about like mud honey or like the other seattle bands that maybe aren't as accessible like a more accessible version of that which would be like 16 stone by bush or like live mm-hmm. that's what i think of when i think of bubble grunge but okay interesting that you say that yeah and you know we said that scott wyland is a little bit of a shapeshifter he's in pretty much a completely new vocal style mm-hmm. on this record it's got this kind of like raw, gravelly. There's not a even a hint of the tire pitched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's um, I think there's there's a different rhythmic complexity to these songs. I mean, the first single is "Big Bang Baby," and to some degree, like on a surface level, it's just like a straight riff. But there's this um. The snare and the claps yeah. that are going one, two, done. Yeah. And like uh, um, accenting uh, on the second hit too, so that it's like uh, louder. Yeah. It, it's interesting. Yeah. And there's this yeah. weird four and hit in mm-hmm. the song and um, a really curious, strange psychedelic chorus. Does that song sound like the Kinks to you at all? Like it, to me, it sounds like a a Kinks homage. Yeah, I can hear that. Mm-hmm. I definitely hear some like T Rex on this record. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit of Bowie. Yeah, yeah. There's a line. There's a um a reference to Station to Station in the lyrics. I don't know if yeah, that's, there is if that's the Bowie album, but um yeah, uh-huh. it's mentioned. They covered Andy Warhol. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh, that's interesting. I can I can see Wyland singing that. Um, 
After Scott Weiland's death, Billy Corgan had some really nice things to say about this album. He said that this was the album when he got into Scott Weiland and that mm-hmm. it was kind of like the, the cocktail of influences that we've already discussed. Rolling Stone gave a three-star review. They said, STP seem to have no delusions that they're anything more than, well, a pop rock band. <laughs> With no attitude to get in the way, the outfit simply churns out summer hits and the band does a smash-up job of it. And I agree with everything that they say, but I don't think that you have to limit it to three stars just because of that. If uh, somebody churns out summer hits... Yeah, I know. That's <laughs> an accomplishment. I, I think this is an excellent, excellent record. I agree. So the band couldn't tour in support of this album because Wyland was sent back into rehab, and um, so that definitely interfered with the commercial prospects of this album. Um. Side B definitely loses steam. To what extent did you two think it loses steam? I just kind of stopped uh, being interested. Mm. Um, uh, does does but wait? Does Side B start with tripping on a hole in a paper heart? Yes, okay, it does. Yeah. That's I the mean, only single on Side that's, B. That's uh, where like after that, I'm pretty. Um, I kind of just zone out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not. It's not great, but it's fine to kind of put on in the background. Um, it's not terrible or abrasive like they can be. Um, they just kind of, it's just kind of passable, you know, huh. which is like, I, it's fine to keep going. I, I don't have yeah. any problem continuing with the album, but there's also nothing really there to be excited about, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. After tripping on a hole, I don't think there's anything to be excited about. Although I, I guess I am kind of pushing, and so I know. I think that "Ride the Cliche" and Seven Cage Tigers" are two pretty good songs. If you, yeah. if you want to go back and check them out, um, there's some curious things going on. G- good choruses and, and great guitar playing. So that brings us to "Art School Girlfriend," which I think is the absolute most obnoxious song that art school girlfriend sucks so hard that I, I <laughs> almost prevents me from flipping the record over. And Trav, you've defended Art School Girlfriend at least to some degree in the past. Yeah. <laughs> I would say, um, you know, I've listened to this song um, about five or four times. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's bad, but it's kind of fun too, right? Like, to me, it reminds me, it always reminds me of uh, I Got a Girl by Tripping Daisy. Um, not familiar. It's it was a, it was a single from a minor band, um, and uh, just kind of a quirky like uh, you know, a quirky thing. Um, there's definitely a big <laughs> contrast between the verse and the chorus that is jolting. <laughs> um, but it's it's it doesn't 
it doesn't offend me. I, I, I feel like it's just kind of silly. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't, I don't get upset about it. I just kind of, kind of go with it. One thing that made me feel better about it is that um, I read one thing online suggesting that it's making fun of STP critics um, in their pretentiousness with their like, ooh, art school, uh, got an art school girlfriend, that it's kind of like making fun of people who sneer at the band, these snobbish people who say that it doesn't meet their, their mm. artistic criteria. <laughs> you know, there's that part... Uh, underground parties andy warhol everywhere uh all that kind of stuff that's kind of like making fun of um i don't know people who are art school graduates or are connected to the art world yeah so i get that but that chorus and then there's just a moment and the chorus sucks every time oh man i like <laughs> the chorus then there's a, you, i like you the get chorus a, more than the verse oh, i think the verse really? is <laughs> Awful. Then you get a break. There's a little bit of silence, and he just comes back and goes five or four times, <laughs> like over and all, just like he does it again. Why do you um, think? Why do you think he chooses to sing it five or four times? I don't know. I have no idea why um, he would choose to do that. Heroin. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. Why else? I guess. I, I, no, hey, I'm with you, Al. This song, that song, Al. I'm with you. The song sucks, but <laughs> I think that the chorus is like ten times better than the verse, which is just okay. the verses All are right. just the way he sings art, like the words "art school girlfriend" just drive me up a wall. I'm not. It's not a hill I'm willing to die on, but <laughs> <laughs> but I I. I'm kind of amused by it. It's an amusing okay. kind of uh, car crash of a song. All right. Let's talk about some singles. Yeah, let's... So Big, Big Bang Baby, I've already uh, uh, talked a lot about why I like it. Mainstream awesome. number one, Modern awesome. Rock number two. Fantastic. Awesome Rules. song. Great. I hated it. I hated it when I was a kid. Really? When it, really? When it, re when it released as the first single, um, I was so disappointed, and I hated the way... Scott Weiland was singing. Um, I hated it. I did not get it at all. And now it's uh, either my first or it's probably my favorite song on the album, but maybe tied for first. It was an exciting thing. It didn't sound like anything else at the time. And I remember it being pushed on MTV pretty heavily the first week it came out, mm -hmm. like the video, especially because mm -hmm. the video is so wild. And it didn't look like anything else either. Um, and I just remember being kind of stunned by it. Um, I don't think I, I had any kind of like affection towards it or like repulsion towards it. I was just sort of like, what is this? This is different. You know, it just sounded different. Um, that bridge, the bridge is the, the whole psychedelic Nothing's bridge. for free. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, is That's that so you're good. considering that the bridge? I think so. Do you consider okay. that the chorus? That, that's what I was referring to when I said the chorus being okay. theatrical. Um, but but yeah. even if you call the 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 pre-chorus the um, I want to cry but I got to laugh yeah. part. I mean, even that part is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, the one weird thing that always has kind of nagged at me is in the lyrics. Um, there's a line that says it's just a burning, aching memory, but he says aching for some reason. <laughs> Oh, I always thought it was ancient. I thought so too. That makes more sense. But I just checked the lyrics in the liner notes of the album, which I own. 
and yeah. it says aching, but he's saying aching for some reason. <laughs> Why did he do that? Curious. Heroin. I don't know. The only <laughs> other is. thing that I would say about that is um, as he goes into the last chorus, there are some harmonics and he really starts shouting the lyrics mm-hmm. and it really gets my blood boiling. That just, just the very, very uh, end of the song. He, mm-hmm. he like kind of is yelling. The, it's like the melody goes a little bit higher or something. Yeah, I, he I goes monotone yeah. And, and goes up higher. Yeah, yeah. it's awesome. Yeah. Great song. Yeah. Yeah. Tripping on a hole and a paper heart. Mainstream number one, modern rock number three. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> so I was curious to learn that this was this song originated with the drummer, but it, it totally makes sense, I guess, if you think about it. It's a very rhythm section oriented song. We'll we'll post it on the Facebook page, but the the isolated vocal track, or sorry, not the isolated bass track. Um, if you really really listen to the bass on this song, it is really remarkable. Yeah. It is so funky. was insane yeah. seeing that video was mind-blowing i had no idea how busy that was yeah and mm-hmm. that is so busy and it also just sort of shapes the song in a weird way even when it slows down the notes that oh, it's God. playing made me go like oh my god this song is great and i had no idea like i mean i just thought it was sort of a, a generic like i i thought positively about the song but in a generic sort of way where i was like oh yeah that's kind of a good song Uh but then watching that Mm -hmm. bass track was crazy that's great i'm so glad um i think too an interesting thing is uh the like kind of like guitar lick um that happens going into the chorus and then it happens like um at the end of the the phrase the yeah, that eventually gets replaced with a synthesizer. It sounds like uh, it sounds like Dancing Days. Oh yeah, I, I do think that in general, uh, Travis will know what I mean. This band loves uh, flat fives and major sevens. They love um, when something is just a half step lower than the the ear naturally expects it to be. Yeah. I think that's uh, that's one of their secret weapons in this band. Yeah. I, not something necessarily that I was inclined to notice, but um, I have twice <laughs> seen uh, a friend of the podcast, Matt Rickle, post glowingly about the guitar solo in this song. Um, and it is quite a solo. It goes through yeah. multiple stages, and it's really impressive and inventive and really fun. It is. My rule he, for a he's good a big guitar fan. solo. He's I don't a know big if fan I've... of this album. 
Sorry, Trev. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the podcast before, but my rule for a good guitar solo is that you can sing along to it. Uh huh. And you can definitely sing along to this one. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy because I, I think, Alec, you mentioned earlier, he's got a lot of different styles because he also plays a conventionally terrible solo on core. Um, it was like just noticeably really bad. I can't remember on what song what, what song it was on. Um, it was actually I can. It was on uh, "Piece of Pie." That was the name of the song. Um, I don't even know. I, I I made a note because it was just like this is awful. Like the the solo <laughs> was awful, and I don't you know always say that about guitar solos, but I mean just comparing those two solos is is night and day. Um. Really great, really great guitar solo here. Yeah. Um, I um, also lyrically, um, any lyrics jump out at you about from from the song? No, I guess I, I've never really paid that much attention. The chorus ends with a line that says, "So keep your bankroll lottery, eat your salad, deathbed motorcade." That's. <laughs> I'm all for like poetic combination of words, <laughs> but that's really, that's really a stretch, right? <laughs> I don't know. Motorcade is uh, definitely out of place. <laughs> but bankroll lottery, eat your salad, deathbed is good. They should have stopped there. <laughs> I, I, I like that free association. I think about capitalism and mortality and, uh, um systems of systems of oppression man <laughs> all right maybe i'm the asshole here <laughs> uh we have not mentioned a single time lady picture show mainstream number 1 modern rock number 6 It's uh, it's good. Um, the chorus is a little too corny for me, a little too like obnoxious, uh, obnoxiously Beatles ish. Yeah, it's yeah. the most straightforwardly sixties. Um, yeah, it's. I, I love the verse. I love the verses. I think the verse, the melody's awesome during the verse. Um, and the guitar tone and um. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guitar solo is kind of the guitar sweet. solo is rocking. Yeah, it's mm. it, and it changes like style and phrasing a lot. Yeah, yeah. In, like, yeah. You know, it starts it, with this kind of big, like glamorous, showy. Yeah, and then and like it's uh, I feel like not a lot of bands do this, but uh, playing a solo over multiple parts of a song you know like yeah. over the verse and then the chorus or whatever and um um and uh it's cool yeah it was a cool cool solo um the ver- yeah the ver or the choruses are just too corny for me though um yeah you said beatles and i was gonna throw that in too so so al didn't have to 
It's a this is the this is the STP Beatles song. This is uh yeah. like magical mystery tour era kind of uh kind of huh. thing, I think. I wouldn't think that though. I would think this is um Gosh, when would the Beatles do that boom boom ch boom boom ch on the chorus? I know it'd definitely be Paul's influence. Hmm. I guess I almost think of Maxwell Silver Hammer there. Oh. Maybe this oh. is an Abbey Road kind of thing. Oh. I don't know. Maybe. Either way, I, I agreed that it is the Beatles one. I like it quite a lot. Tumble in the Rough. Mainstream rock number nine, modern rock number 36. I was not familiar with the song. Uh, oh, really? It's pretty sweet. It I, you know, just kidding. I, I think it was. <laughs> it, it sounded vaguely familiar to me, but oh. um, I thought you were saying it's not sweet. No, 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 no. <laughs> just kidding. I, I like sucks. it. I like it. it. It's a, it's a cool song. It's a shredder. Trying to lure it's us cool. in. Uh, the music is credited to Scott Weiland on this song. Mm. Music and words by Scott Weiland. Um. It, the song rules. Um, the highlight is the percussive guitar stuff. Yeah. Uh, and like the beat, uh, the beat during the verse being played entirely on the snare, I think is cool. Oh, um, okay. Like a uh, simple beat, um, but instead of uh, using your prominent arm on the hi-hat, um, he's like doing it on the snare. Oh um, wow! Cool. So that both both hands are hitting the snare. It's cool. It's yeah. Yeah, I, I like it a lot. Yeah, it's a great song. I thought um, the guitar. I, I was guessing it's. It sounded like I don't know for for what reason, but I I thought it sounded like like there were, he was playing a Dan Electro uh, guitar oh, in the video of Big Bang Baby. He is too. That must be why. Mm-hmm. That that's probably exactly why because I checked the liner notes and it says that they were sponsored by Schecter. Which hmm. is not that. So, yeah. Um, but it, it, I, I mentioned that because the guitars sound different. Then it's not a Fender. It's not a Les Paul. It's not like a conventionally like popular sounding guitar. And I think that's probably the case for a lot of these songs, but especially on Tumble in the Rough. Like that does I, not sound like a, a typical like popular guitar. I think that is uh, the case on uh, Lady Picture Show too. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, the guitar tone's interesting on this whole album. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan. Big fan of Tiny Music. Uh, well, shall we move on to number four? Oh, God. <laughs> I guess we have to, don't we? <laughs> yeah, all right. This one came out in 1999. It peaked at number six. I guess my number one takeaway is that it they, sucks. Revert, they, they revert to so much of what they did on core. Mm-hmm. Um, Wyland's vocals revert to the way that they did things on core. And they're these just, just except for one r- song, r- riffy, dumb, dumb things. Yeah. Um, 
so for the most part, I don't think it's very good. But there, there are like multiple songs where they stress the '60s influences more, and um, some of those are are pretty good. So I think this album is best when it's most at its most Beatles esque, but the hard rock stuff really sucks. Mm-hmm. I didn't notice any thing uh, '60s, let alone good. Aside from uh, Sour Girl. Yeah. The, the songs that I made notes of were um, on the song Pruno. <laughs> the, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't remember specifically, although I did own this album. I must have sold this album fast <laughs> when I owned it in high school. Um, Church on Tuesday, I noted, was it had some good moments, and I Got You had some good moments. And there's a song called Atlanta that I did like all the way through. Hmm. My notes uh, for Pruno uh, were, can't tell if this is good or just good relative to the previous two songs. Yeah. Um, Church on Tuesday was like, better, getting warmer. Um, Atlanta, I wrote The Doors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think Wyland was a big Morrison head. Like, yeah. That's what I... That like makes I, sense. I gathered, yeah. There was a song called Glide, too, that I thought was was one of the better songs on the album. I wouldn't say it was good, but it was <laughs> it was better. Um, there's this one song called Down that I just I was really I, th- I was really compelled by the way that it started. It goes Please to meet you. Nice to know me. What's the answer? Well, you show me. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I, that song cool, is a piece cool, of shit. I like the I like the the guitar harmonics uh, in Generous. the song. Do you know what I'm talking about? I like that. I like that guitar part. Uh, I don't. I can't think of what you're. Oh yeah. Okay. The, the harmonics. Yeah, I can hear that. Like going with the vocal. Yeah, it's a bad, bad, really. What a what a lead off single. God, I yeah, I just remember, uh, um, I was so yeah, like oh cool, Stone Temple Pilots, uh, f- coming out with another album, and uh, it was not a good first taste for sure. <laughs> no, they knew better, right? Like we just listened to two albums that were like solid to very good. Mm-hmm. How did they get? How did they revert yeah. back to like the so worst? New metal man. They were. I think. They I were think Tiny Music was was it, Tiny Music was at least a minor commercial disappointment. Yeah. Probably largely due to the fact that they couldn't tour mm-hmm. to support it. Right. 
but I think that they are they're chasing their tails back to core here. Yeah. I think they're very consciously trying to do a return to form when their form sucks. <laughs> yeah, and it was probably too weird for most mainstream audiences. I don't know yeah. Tiny a music. lot of people that loved the singles from Tiny Music. Mm-hmm. But they charted reasonably well. Yeah. Um, at least a couple of them did. Big Bang Baby, Lady Picture Show. I mean, those tripping on a hole they they charted really well so yeah it's curious why they decided to go back this route yeah but quill you were saying uh new metal i mean i definitely hear it oh yeah yeah down in uh no way out um (laughs) or new metal (laughs) this was this was the first time that i listened to this album Mm-hmm. And Me too. it was it was also the first time I was like, oh, it makes perfect sense that they ended up with Chester Bennington as their singer. <laughs> yeah. Like it made total sense after hearing this. Yeah. I don't think I knew Unfortunately. That. I don't think I knew they had that dude at yeah. that point. Oh Lord. Chester B, baby. Mm-hmm. So singles, uh down, mainstream number five, modern rock number nine, sucks. Shit. <laughs> Shit. Heaven and Hot Rods, mainstream number 17, modern rock number 30. Can't recall it off the top of my head, but I'm pretty (laughs) sure I thought it was shit. I think it's (laughs) slightly better than down. My note was, Um, I just heard this song, and it was down. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Uh, Well, we I guess it's time to talk about the, the hidden secret of this album. Sour Girl, mainstream number four, modern rock number three. Is it so hidden and secret? It was a kind no, of. No, it's single. not, but it's so not in keeping with the rest oh, of the yeah. record. I, I did not like it as a kid. and Really? Uh, uh-uh. I don't think I got it. And then a few years ago, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Sour Girl. Sour Girl is a masterpiece. <laughs> she turned away. A masterpiece. I mean, not yeah. even relative to this album. It is. It, it's an amazing song. Do you? Yeah. Do you? Do Do you? Either of you think it's the best Stunt Double Pilot song? Yes. P- period. Yes. Unquestionably. I'm. I'm. I'm questioning it, but I'm like I'm tearing up talking about Sour Girl. Mm-hmm. Just the craft on display in the song and how. It's so, it's musically, it's really clever. It, it is, again, it's Beatles-esque. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a beautiful chorus. Oh, yeah. The chorus is beautiful, and it's not my favorite part. The verses are just, the verses yeah. kill me. Yep. Yeah, the, like, the bouncy so bass. Yeah, and, the, and the, the, the production is is um, subtle, but it oh, definitely, they, they do a really nice job. The drums sound amazing on it. This track. Um. 
No Way Out, Mainstream number 17, <laughs> Modern Rock number 24. The shittiest of the shit. The shittiest <laughs> shit I've ever heard. <laughs> it is. I had to remind myself how it goes right before the podcast because yeah. we were talking about how terrible it was and I already don't remember. Yeah. My What does he say? Give it away. Give it. Oh yeah. Give it away now, motherfucker. Now give it away. Yeah. yeah it's uh, uh. Yeah. It's it's one of the worst songs. I yeah. I I've ever heard. Uh. From this era or any era. <laughs> any era from a good band. Right. Like, I think we have to like kind of qualify it by saying that, like, this is a good band who's yeah. shown that they know how to make great songs yeah. and they still choose to put stuff out that sounds like this. Yeah. 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 Uh, Kryptonite by Three Doors Down is better. Um, <laughs> I would say maybe at least one Nickelback song is better. Uh, like the worst bands have yeah. better songs okay. than this song. Do you Post like two thousands? Oh, sorry. I was just gonna ask if how many stained songs you like more than um, "No Way Out." One, at least. <laughs> <laughs> but there is a stained song that I like. Yeah. Period. Five star yeah. song for you. No, no. <laughs> like maybe a four point two five. Hall of Famer. <laughs> maybe maybe a four point two five. Um, uh, I can't think of a major right now to use for. Um, okay, so post two thousand, anything, anything notable that you want to say? No, I'm done. I <laughs> I accidentally heard a song called "Days of the Week" from uh-huh. their album "Shangri La Da" from two thousand and one, and it was good. I liked it too. I it was, was my like, first time hearing it. Yeah, yeah. What did I it didn't, sound like? It just it sounded like uh, maybe a tiny music song, kind of. It was like it's, it has a, a strong, like, st- yeah, strong '60s '70s yeah. influence. Yeah, um, I was shocked by how many side projects they had all together. Holy cow! So you got you got Velvet Revolver that mm-hmm. happened after this. Um, we talked about Magnificent Bastards and Talk Show. There was a Scott Weiland solo album too. Correct? There was a Scott yes. Weiland solo mm-hmm. album. 12 bar blues mm-hmm. i remember had... checking it out of the ann arbor public library yeah um cheryl crow pay- played accordion on it at some oh, point wow. so <laughs> um there was a side project with the DeLeos and richard patrick from filter called army of anyone that put out an album in 2006 such a mid-2000s band oh name. it's bad um anyways yeah so um they also had the Scott Weiland and the Wildabouts. I don't know if that was <laughs> something that happened later. And then he was in a group, a super group called Art of Anarchy, which 
sounds really bad. They've carried on with Scott Stapp since since that time. So oh, no. they're, they're doing great. They're doing great. Don't worry about <laughs> they're that. They're called Art of Anarchy. Yeah. With Scott um, Stapp. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, the DeLeo brothers produced True Ant by Alien Ant Farm in 2003. Oh, nice. Okay. Wait, hold on. Hold the phone. Go yep. back to Army of Anarchy or whatever. Art of Anarchy. Art of Anarchy. Yeah. You said that was a super group. Who else was in that? I don't know. Some shitheads. <laughs> Nobody cool. It was It was like, you know, I, I, I guess I should double check that just in case. But well, I thought yeah, it was yeah, like people like I'd never heard of. Oh. Um, Aaron right, Lewis from Stain. Guns N' Roses guitarist Ron Bumblefoot Fall. <laughs> <laughs> Disturbed bassist John Moyer and uh, no name twin brothers John and Vince Vada on guitar and drums hmm. and Creed vocalist Scott Stapp. So Art of Anarchy, not to be confused with Army of Anyone. <laughs> sure. Right. Any memories related to Wyland's death? Uh, no. I mean, I just remember being bummed. Um, uh, and like, probably not surprised. Um, I think that it, like, people kind of expected it and maybe thought, um, it would have happened sooner. I don't know. Yeah. I had a Facebook friend who has, uh, um, an Ann Arbor area indie rock musician who made us specifically made a post on the day that Scott Weiland died to say that he was not sad that Scott Weiland had died. Jesus. And I immediately unfollowed him and I've never heard from him since. Cool. <laughs> he, uh, I, I, that was a good reminder for me of how naive I am because I remembered reading, um, other people saying like he was, he was clean. Like he was like, He'd been off of drugs and, and mm. substances and everything like that for a long time. And I was like, oh, that's really weird. <laughs> How could he have died then? And of course, you know, it came out later that, you know, he wasn't. Mm-hmm, and I yeah. think the same, like something similar happened with Chris Cornell, where mm-hmm. it was like, you know, he, he also was like clean and in a great place. And it's like, oh, wow, that's really weird. And then, you know, things come out later that he's still dealing with substance abuse issues. Mm-hmm. It's like, ah, oh, it's really sad. Jeez. Yeah. Heroin, especially. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything that I read about heroin is just, you know, you know, people, uh, we got a lot of anti-drug education when we were kids that we've come to be skeptical of and to, to think is silly, but there's, there's definitely no question. I mean, there's no counter argument that people take heroin and their lives are just like, they're over their Mm -hmm. lives are over from the first time that they take heroin. Mm. Okay. Well, uh, this uh, brings us to the fun final segment here. So we're going to rotate on and off and we're going to nominate songs for honorary inclusion in the hall of fame and the the threshold that songs have to cross is an average rating of 4.25 to get into the hall of fame that's what we decided in our new year's eve 1995 special uh or the stall of blame 
for which they have to have a an average rating of two or less. Um, and we're going to stick to singles, although uh, promotional singles will count. So we're going to go around uh, one by one and suggest songs for the Hall of Fame. Honorary placement in the Hall of Fame or the, the honorary stall of blame. Um, Quillen, why don't you get us started? Yeah, um, I might be regretting my decision for the song <laughs> uh, based off our conversation earlier. But uh, I'm going to stick with it. I am nominating Plush the single from Core for the Hall of Fame. All right, Um, what's your rating? My rating of it is 4.25 Dogs Who Smelt Her. (laughs) Huh. Um, Man, I'm I'm really happy that you love that song. I think it's great. Um... For me, that song is just like a little better than average, um, unfortunately. So I, I gave it a 2.75. Damn. Yikes. Okay. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's a decent track. Uh, I enjoy it when it comes on, but I, I certainly would never seek it out. So I'll, I'll give it three dogs who smelter. So altogether, it looks like that's 3.33. Yeah. So plush is a miss. Oh. For the Hall of Fame. Oh, I've got a song. I've got a song, and I'm going to suggest. I'm going to suggest it. Um, I'm not going to tell you whether it's good or bad, but the song is called "Dead and Bloated" by Stone Temple Pilots. <laughs> I'll let you come up with your own ratings in your mind before I say what I'm going to say. But um, I'm just glad I would rather be kissed by a rose on the grave than to smell like a rose that somebody gave me on my birthday deathbed. <laughs> I give Dead and Bloated a one, the lowest rating I've ever given a song to this point. Um, my question is, can we give zeros? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I give this song zero roses that somebody gave me on my <laughs> birthday deathbed. Wow. This is the a... worst song you've ever heard. This will can, <laughs> I mean, this is like that to have a zero, like you really gotta have some animosity towards this song. I remember buying purple and tiny music and and liking both of them and then sometime after that going back and buying a copy of core for like five dollars from record exchange and the second that i put it on i was like no 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 i will not like i will not have this in my house like the first 30 seconds of the album okay that's so great zero yeah zero great. you said it i give it a 2.5 <laughs> I think it's right in the middle. <laughs> what? All right. You but, think it's um, slightly worse than I think plush is? We got to get together and like kind of <laughs> figure out what our rating system is no. between the two of us. Apparently. <laughs> no man, no. I don't. I don't um, hate. I don't hate that I'm voted. Is what I'm saying. Wow. Okay. Wow. I see one point one six repeated. So it is definitely inducted into the honorary. 
It's all a blame. It, it's not necessarily fair for us to put these into the normal style of blame and Hall of Fame because uh, that's reserved for number ones. Mm -hmm. And so uh, as a result, we're, we're getting to consider lots of STP songs. So this is going to go on the honorary style of blame. All right, let's move beyond core. Um, I'm going to suggest that we put Vaseline from Purple in the Hall of Fame. I'm going to go ahead and give it five flies in the Vaseline. Perfect song. I'll give it five flies in the Vaseline. Jesus. <laughs> My first five is a an honorary inductee. Wow. Well, I'm not. So uh, it's uh, 3.75 for me. It's All good. Right, let's see how the math works out. But and it should it's in yeah, 4.58. That might actually wow. be our highest rating yet. Uh, tied with about a girl. It's in honorary inclusion for Vaseline. Woo! Oh. Woo! Quill, another song from Purple? Yeah, I got one. Uh, it's called Pretty Penny. Uh, I would like to induct it into the Hall of Fame. Five out of five. Led Zeppelins. <laughs> <laughs> wow, there's there's two fives on purple for you. That's great. At least yep. we haven't even covered them all. Um, Pretty Penny is cool. Um, at this point in my life, I would give it a four for Led Zeppelin. Um, it's it's good, it's good. And I I bet if you ask me in a few weeks, it might even be higher. That I suspect. I'm really glad to hear that because I thought that you did not like that song. Um, it's grown. It's grown. Awesome. In esteem, uh, since uh, since we've started discussing it. All right. I don't like being in this position, but um, this one doesn't stand out to me. I I still like it in general. I'm gonna give it three point five. Led Zeppelin's. Ah. Um, what's the math? Come it out just to? misses. 4.16 repeating. Wow. All right. I'm sorry. I don't like being that guy, but that's... Uh... Alec! Maybe next year. <laughs> <laughs> um, Travis, a song from Purple. Yeah, baby. How about Interstate Love Song, the classic? Yeah, uh, it's it's, great. I don't deny that it's a classic. It's great. Um, I give this song 4.25 lies. <laughs> That's like the line from the song, I guess. Yeah, it is. I guess. I give it also 4.25 lies. Okay. So once again, I'm the deciding vote, and I'm, I'm, I haven't actually given any quarter point votes yet. And I think I'm going to stick with not giving any quarter point votes. I give this four lies. Hey. Yeah. All right. So it falls just short. Yep. All right. 4.16 repeating again. Alec, 
<laughs> is this going to count against me in my 1995 stats? I would like to keep my most generous Raider uh, designation. No, I don't I think, think this counts. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think this counts. You put it on the record. You're on the record. <laughs> Gosh, I don't know how I feel about that, because Interstate Love Song is that's really good. Too late, dude. But it's too late. Bump it up. It's too late. I mean, you still gave it a good rating. Yeah, the Hall of Fame is the the Hall of Fame is the most elite of the. Trav is really pushing. You should for for revisions. You can make an apology on the Facebook page, and uh, (laughs) maybe we can officially change it later. Well, let me say this: Facebook Facebook followers, if you try to convince me to up that just another point two five and. I will strongly consider it. Okay. You should um, do that I with would... Pretty Penny first, you dingus. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I would like to propose a song from Tiny Music. It is the first single, Big Bang Baby. This is a 4.5 uh, Orange Crush Mamas. For me, I also give it a four. You say four. I also give it a four point five. Orange Crush Mamas. Wow, it's great. I give it a four point seven five. Orange Crush Mamas. Oh wow! All right, now we're in. Big Bang Baby is in. Uh, Let's move on to Trav's. uh, A a pick from Trav from Tiny Music. Yeah, I got one. I love it. It's called Tumble in the Rug. And I give it a 4.5 Tumbles in the Rug. I also give it 4.5 tumbles in the rough. Wow. I give it four tumbles in the rough. Well, I think that's sufficient. 4.33 to repeating? Yes. That one Tumble in the rough. Honorary Hall of Fame. So many. So many (laughs) entries. Yeah, that's why it's not fair to put them in the actual Hall of Fame. They have so many great singles, though. Look at this. I mean, these are legitimately awesome songs. singles. All right, I'm going to suggest tripping on a hole in a paper heart for the Hall of Fame. I'm going to give tripping on a hole in a paper heart five bankroll salads. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect song. Five. Uh, I'm giving it 4.25. Bankroll salads. Uh, I give the song Trippin' on a Hole in a Paper Heart with Money in My Hands Outside a Broken Phone Booth by Primitive Radio Gods a four bankroll salads. Still in. It's in. Quillen, you have a song for number four? I have a song from number four that I would like to nominate uh, into the Stall of Blame. Uh, we were talking about it earlier. It is called No Way Out. Give it up, now, now, give it away. Give it up, now, give 
it is arguably one of the worst songs I've heard, at least in recent memory. Um, I give it uh, zero ways out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I weirdly like had given this a 1.75 and then I was like, no, this is a (laughs) 1.5. Okay. It's all terrible. I don't know what to say. 1.5 ways out. Cool. One and a half Uh, ways. (laughs) (laughs) I will give it one way out. Yes. Cool. Meaning uh, 0.83 repeating. 0.83. That's bad. Yes. All right. Solid blame. It's in. All right. And finally, will this be an unprecedented moment in thoughts? Yeah, I know. I'm I'm wondering the same. I'm wondering the same thing. I would like to nominate the song Sour Girl. I mean, we're all. Hold on. Essentially, we all three nominate this, I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. This is our final, final STP moment here. Five out of five Sarah Michelle Gellers. <laughs> yeah, I give it five out of five black-haired Sarah Michelle Gellers. <laughs> and a first for Thoughts on Pod yes. History. I would like to give this five black-haired Sarah Michelle Gellers. Yes, we did it. We finally <laughs> we did, did it. it. We did it. Well, like perfect, 18, perfect five. 18, 19, 20 episodes in, we finally did it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just honorary, unfortunately. But think about it. Sour Girl, essentially, we're saying, is the best song we've covered yet. Yeah. Yeah. Which I might, I Collectively. might stand by that. I might stand by that. I mean, great. I mean, we did talk about Stay by Lisa Loeb, and we haven't really rated that, but, <laughs> yeah. you know. That's okay. Well, so in the future, uh, we'd like to keep doing this with bands that have not uh, gotten an alternative rock number one. We've got a spreadsheet that's full of possibilities. We've got, let's see, No Doubt, Hootie. Hootie, um, Pearl Jam. Uh, is Alice in Chains? Now, Pearl Jam does have a number one, so we're in an ambiguous oh, place that's right. there. It's, yeah, uh, Alice, Alice in Chains. Sheryl uh, yep. Crow. Yep. Um, Blur. Blur, yet we Fiona might do a Apple? Can, yeah, might do a, a Canadian rock special. Hey, yeah. we should maybe take uh, submissions, like uh, requests of something for sure. Like this two ideas from our uh, Facebook group. Okay, final final thing um, is Stone Temple Pilots in Nirvana wannabe. It's a tricky one because I, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Right? Yeah. I think the answer is fundamentally yes to some degree, but when they trust their instincts and they do their own thing, um, they can come up with something that is like magically different mm-hmm. from Nirvana. Yeah, I think they probably didn't put Core out if not for Nirvana, right? Or mm-hmm. Core didn't sound like Core without Nirvana. So, um, and then Unglued is absolutely mm-hmm. Nirvana to a T. So, I mean, yeah, at moments, yes. All right, tell me all your thoughts on Pod as part of the Off Shelf family. Head to offshelf.net to sign up for their monthly zine and check out our sibling podcast, Best Song Ever. 
Email us about upcoming songs at thoughtsonpod at gmail.com. Email us a question and we'll discuss it at our earliest convenience or send us comments, memories, corrections, and complaints. If you send comments as a voice memo, we'd love to include them at the end of the show. Listen along with our playlist on Spotify, Apple Music, or watch along on YouTube. You can also join our Facebook group, Tell Me All Your Thoughts on Tell Me All Your Thoughts on Pod. I don't have anything clever to introduce to the next episode because we have not necessarily decided when this is going to air. So we'll just say see you next time. Bye. 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 Thank you. Bye.